0: Mistakes are a little bit easier to see in the window than the mirror, don't you think? So let's talk about these mistakes and how we can correct them along the way to produce really great adults after our kids are finished living in our home. Mistake number one, we won't let our kids fail. Now, I don't know any parent that wants their kid to fail. None of us want them to fail at academics or sports or relationships. But along the way, if we remove the very possibility of failure, if they realize I'm in a failure-proof world, It actually, first of all, prepares them for a world that is not like the one they're about to grow into as an adult. But secondly, it reduces their very motivation to succeed. The value of success is lessened because they know, I get it every time. And in fact, they lose their ambition to excel. I believe sometimes we as parents confuse hurt and harm. Um, All of us are going to get hurt. You can't stop your child from getting hurt feelings or or, or something hurt along the way. But hurt doesn't always harm. We want to protect them from harm, but we need to help them navigate getting hurt, and sometimes that means they fail. Real growth happens, I think, only through learning to deal with failure. So how do we correct this? I believe we need to permit them to try hard things and even fail, whether it's school or uh, playgrounds or whatever, talk it through with them, help them see the value of failure, and then build over time a resilient kid along the way. Mistake number two, we as parents often project our lives on our kids. Now let me tell you why this is a mistake. First of all, I'm sure every one of us have seen a parent um, push their kid to make the grade, make the team, make the money, to become a doctor, an attorney, or some pro athlete, I don't know, uh, in fact, haven't we all seen a dad <coughs> or a grandstands of a Little League baseball game going bonkers over his nine-year-old son who made an error at third base? And we're all looking at that dad saying, hey, dad, you're looking at your son. He's a future software programmer. He's not going to play third base for the Boston Red Sox. But it's like we're going crazy, almost as if we are living out our unlived life through our children. That's the baggage we have. When we're projecting on our kids, we're often pushing them or pressuring them to become someone they're not, but something we want to be. I think our baggage often leads to them having baggage as young adults, and none of us want that. So, um, let me tell you a quick story. I knew a principal that sat down with a mother who had come into his office in a rage because her child had gotten a bad grade on a test. As they talked through this paper, the principal told me, he said, I was amazed at how much this mother knew about this paper almost as though she knew every line of the paper. And suddenly he realized the mother had written the paper for the child. She was mad that she had gotten a bad grade on the paper. The point was she was projecting her life and her child was the victim uh, of this incident. So to correct this, parents find your identity in something larger than just your children. Of course they're part of it, but we've gotta have a life outside of our kids so we're able to empower them to become the people they are called to be and strengthen. Sorry about that mistake number two oh. we mistake number three we prioritize our kids being happy now once again this is counterintuitive all of us and parents want our children to be happy but let me tell you a quick story I have a dear friend that has two adult children and I've always been amazed at how well and how easy her children have found it to be to talk to their mother about anything, sex or drugs or you name it, every topic was on the table. Along the way, however, I started noticing she gave them no guidance. She so wanted them just to be happy, she never gave them a compass in life. And along the way, what happened was this, they started making poor choices as young adults, but she would always fall back on, well, I just want them to be happy. Today, her two adult kids live with her. Uh, one is has pregnant and both are out of a job and they've made some choices that they didn't have to make, but they weren't <coughs> given the guidance all in the name of, I just want them to be happy. Now, when happiness is a goal, uh, it becomes very elusive and almost always disappointing. I want to encourage you as parents to teach your kids that happiness is not a good goal. It is a wonderful byproduct pursuing, identifying your gifts, and serving them up to people, and then along the way finding that happiness sneaks up on you. So let me help you correct this. Along the way, we've got to make sure we communicate to our kids that happiness is not a goal. It's a byproduct. It's something that sneaks up on you if you pursue finding what your gifts are, serving them up to people along the way, and then allowing happiness to find you. Mistake number four, we are inconsistent. Um, You probably intuitively know what I'm about to say, but I'm going to start with a story on this one. My wife and I noticed when our kids were growing up that they went through a stage where they were, they had bad attitudes. I mean, a lot of bad attitudes. They were talking back to us when they had been trained not to talk back to their parents. Several things were going awry, things that were different than what they had been instructed along the way. And then my wife and I started looking at our own parenting, and we noticed that we, in this case, were probably the culprits. We noticed that a rule of thumb was beginning to happen. We had set some standards or some rules in our house, but then we were caving on those rules. If we said be in bed by 9, we were allowing them to stay up till 9, 30, 45, 10 o'clock. We said this, but then we did that. And all those insecurities, even though we weren't robbing banks or anything like that, those those inconsistencies were breeding insecurities. In fact, we started noticing that a few little uncertainties create a few big insecurities in kids. I don't know if there's anything kids need more outside of love than a consistent home. In fact, I think it doesn't even really matter whether you're strict or unstrict as long as you're consistent in what you lay down as the standard for the home. You see, when we're consistent, it breeds security. They have boundaries. They know where they stand. They know what their, what their space is, and when they don't have that, it creates a very insecure kid that starts looking for love in all the wrong places. So to correct this one, it's pretty simple. Easier said than done, but find the standards that you want to embody in your home. If you're married, talk to your spouse and decide on these, and then consistently model model them, embody them and present them in your life to your own children.
1: So we'll take a pause and kind of work through those first four. Um, uh, Catherine and I are amazed when as you consume some of this data and information there's this convergence of information. You know, you you start seeing authors kind of really, of either quote each other or point to some of the same uh, conclusions. Uh, At the end of this video Seriously, it was to my shock. He's either going to quote Pat Ward or Pat Ward quotes him. Okay, But that's the preview for you about just how the data converges. He'll quote Carol Dweck, whom we've quoted in this class. But in those first four, what were your observations or what hit you or convicted you or what what was an insight or two that uh, spoke to you in those first four?
2: Well,
3: my neighbor does
1: a lot of those things. <laughs> 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 it's good. It's good. The thought that comes to mind the fastest is that old adage you made with Pat Ward, preparing the path for uh, the, hmm. the child. Yeah. The child for the path. Yeah. Hold that. It's good. Others. <clears throat> so these are, you know. Somewhat fundamental, again, it's kind of like some of the business books that are out there. You're like, oh, yeah, 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 that's so so simple and clear. But just hearing them and maybe being reminded of them is helpful. Other comments or observations?
2: I think consistency is a hard one. Oh, yeah. I think it's easy when the kids are little, easier when the kids are little and you're in control and can definitely... Direct and say what everything's going to be when they start getting, you know, moving into some independence. That consistency can be hard, and I find myself I'm tired, and I'm just like, just let that one go. This not, you know. So consistency is is hard. I've heard it said before that the only rule that kids don't disobey, you know, in the law, is that of gravity. Kind of mm. So I thought that was. I, mean, it, it, I feel like it sort of paints an interesting picture. Not that you necessarily need to be that rigid, but
1: Mm-hmm. hmm Any others? Okay. Let's hear, let's hear a few more.
0: Mistake number five. We remove the consequences. Now I bet you've seen this far too often we as moms or dads um, see our kid get in trouble or they fail to remember to do something like take their backpack into school or get that permission slip signed or they forgot their gym shoes or something like that and instead of saying well there are consequences to your forgetting or your failing we remove the consequences we rush that backpack into the school we rush that permission slip in or somehow we negotiate with the teacher so our child gets out of trouble. You and I both know that while that makes them happier today, it's going to make them unhappier in the future. Here's why. It leads to short-term benefits but long-term consequences. You and I both know in life there are consequences to actions. In fact, so many consequences that if our child lives 15, 16, 18 years under a roof with no consequences, it is an abrupt change when they move into the adult world and their boss has consequences where they don't make the sale or or do what they're called to do. In fact, I think on this one, one of the biggest problems is, we are parenting for the short term, not the long term. Uh, I know a mom that did this beautifully. In fact, she corrected this mistake in her own life and it led to great, great benefits later. Her daughter, who was in middle school, had forgotten to get a permission slip signed, and so she called home and said, Mom, I need you to rush the permission slip in, I forgot to bring it in, if I don't, if I don't get it today, I'm going to have to run laps around the gym. This mom's response was perfect. She said, sweetheart, I'm so sorry if you forgot, you forgot to bring the permission slip in. Um, but I can't come down right now, I'm, I'm with somebody right now, and you know what, honey? You could use the exercise around the gym. <laughs> Well, that did make her daughter smile at that moment, but later her daughter as a young teen said thank you so much I'm so much more ready for high school than my friends are. I Want to encourage you correct this mistake you and I both know that life has Consequences and so my correction on this one is less rules more equations Meaning in our home with our kids growing up. We had very few rules. We had lots of equations You know what an equation is if you do this that's the benefit if you do that, this is the consequence, but you let these benefits and consequences play out and they learn to live with the outcomes of their decisions. Mistake number six, we lie about our, their potential and we don't explore their true potential. Now, let me tell you what I mean by this. Have you noticed that we live in a day of hyperbole? Everything seems to be exaggerated, We our words, are you know, we text somebody with 16 exclamation points or emojis everywhere. We say the word awesome all the time. Have you noticed how many things are awesome today? It's incredible. And we do it with our children as well. We say that was amazing when all they did was an effortless act. Uh, We say that was awesome when all they did was put their fork in the dishwasher. You get my point. We exaggerate our compliments or our words and it starts creating actually a distorted view of themselves. Now, yes, our kids are special. Of course, they're loved by us. But when we start using this hyperbolic language, they start growing up and they start questioning our judgment. In middle school, they're going, mom says I'm awesome. Nobody else is saying I'm awesome here. And they start wondering, is this an illusion I've been given? Here's what I've come to believe. I had a mentor say this to me and I fully believe it. Our kids will not become disillusioned unless they're first illusioned. Meaning we somehow gave them an illusion that they're going to be the next American Idol or they're going to play outfield for the New York Yankees or whatever. And I say, it wouldn't be better if we loved on them but were very truthful about their gifts or where they don't have gifts. I think we owe it to them to do this now when the stakes are low and all it might be is a couple of tears, not a paycheck or a loss of a job because they were they were disillusioned about what they were supposed to be doing. So this one's huge. Um, it's actually produced a phenomenon in the world today called quarter life crises. I'm not sure if you've heard of this. I bet you've heard of midlife crises. We baby boomers went through midlife crises years ago. Quarter life crises is about the growing number of 25-year-old young adults who are going into clinical depression and they're seeing a therapist because they didn't get the perfect job at 25, get the perfect spouse at 25, get to make a you know make a million dollars. And it was because they had such high expectations of perhaps a place they didn't even have a gift. So to correct this one, help your child find their gifts and affirm them in the area of those gifts and watch them bloom in a healthy way. Mistake number seven, we won't let our kids struggle or fight. Now, when I use the word fight, I I don't mean a fist fight. I mean to really um, battle or struggle through difficulties, challenges, um, even opportunities that seem a little harder than the child first expected. You and I both know that that's what life is about, working through hard problems and becoming stronger as we work through them. But for some reason, as I mentioned earlier, there, there is a new parent report card on the horizon today that says if you're a good parent, your children shouldn't struggle, they should have everything they want, they should be happy. And while we always want that, that comes through struggle. And we turn out better adults at the end if we let our kids struggle a little bit rather than have a life of ease and convenience all the time. Maybe you've heard of Singapore Math. Singapore Math is a two-day workshop given to teachers in America, when com- and, and it compares children in Singapore to children in America. Now both sets of children are smart, but in Singapore they've embedded into the math curriculum uh, soft skills like attitude and resilience and perseverance. We don't necessarily do that in America. So, given the same math problem, students in Singapore were willing to work an hour or more on a single math problem before they got it right. American children worked 37 seconds before they gave up. Now, I don't think that means they're not smart. I think it means they've been used to not struggling and things have been easy. We kind of spoon fed them. Um, I know a school that doesn't use red ink when they grade papers anymore because we felt like it was too harsh. Again, this is our adult world <coughs> meaning well and tending well but not allowing them to get a glimpse of what life is like. In fact, I think we've done a lot better job uh, protecting than we have preparing. Can I say that again? We've done a better job protecting than preparing. So, my correction on this one is very simple. I want to encourage you, when you see your child struggle, don't remove it right away. Sit down with them, listen to them, cry with them, pray with them, but see them through the struggle and watch them grow resilient in the process mistake number eight we give them what they should earn i mentioned earlier that i feel like we're in a new day and we parents feel like when we look around us at other parents we should be giving our children everything they want and along the way sometimes we can um, sabotage their maturation we start producing young adults in their teens or twenties that feel entitled to things because they've always been given to them my son jonathan is 23 years old and A few years ago, he was helping a theater arts program in our community do a competition. After it was over, he came to me and said, Dad, you won't believe what these adults did. I said, tell me. He said, well, every student that came through the door, I mean, this is high school, middle school, elementary school, every kid that went through the door got a gold medal hung around their neck just for walking in the door, just for breathing air. They got a gold medal. And then, as they competed on the stage, they got more medals for singing, acting, and dancing. The levels of the medals were gold, high gold and platinum. Gold was the lowest you could get. You could get last place and get a gold medal. And then, if that's not bad enough, the host of the competition stood up at the end and said, on sale in the lobby are more trophies and medals. If your child did not get the medal you wanted them to get, you can buy them uh, in the lobby. Now, I understand that we want our kids to have gold medals and trophies and so forth, but you and I both know that it's not even remotely like the world they're about to go in for where their boss is not going to be clapping for them every Friday because they showed up at work on time. So again, we've got to not give them what they should earn. If if we give them what what they should earn, we stop, we reduce their ability to learn to work and wait for things. So I love my friend David. His son Nick was in middle school when the new iPod had just come out. And he said, Dad, I want this iPod. My friend said, how much money you got? He said, well, I don't have enough money for it, but they're going fast. They're going to be gone in a week. My friend did a brilliant thing. He said, Nick, I'm going to buy this iPod to make sure we have it in our home, but I'm going to put it high on a shelf, and you're going to make monthly payments to me from now on until you earn that iPod. (coughs) Now, it seemed harsh at first, but month by month for the next nine months, Nick made payments as an eighth-grade kid. David told me at the end, Nick was so great for that iPod, and he learned the art of working and waiting along the way. That's the correction I want to encourage you to make. All right, so let's talk about those
1: four. Any feedback or observations about those four? How those are working in your home and what you struggle with there? I I think the idea of consequences is something that we've struggled with. Uh, We um, will talk about rules in our house and then we'll originate an organic ad hoc punishment for violating the rules. But we don't set up that model ahead of time, which everybody that we respect say is what's wrong, is we need to set up ahead of time, here's the consequence of not following the rule or not getting your homework done on time. Here's the natural consequence of that. Rather, we turn it into a punishment. And it's not been helpful for us. The other part is where he's talked about equations is the, the idea of rewards for work well done. We haven't done a good job of that. We haven't done a good job of delayed gratification. I read an article last night about uh, the, this angel person who comes in and pays off layaway in Walmart or Toys R Us for people. You've probably read those. Those stories come out this time of year. You know, my kids have no concept what layaway is. They have no idea of what layaway is. You know, the idea that you would identify something, as he was saying in the video, put it on a shelf and then work toward that, uh, we just haven't done a good job of that. So what comments do you have about those four ideas or things that work in your home or don't work? Any comments? Yes.
3: I guess I'm struck by the one about um you know, telling them telling your kid that he's the greatest that there ever yeah. was yeah. and that's one I, I hear less often than most of the other ones we've been talking yeah. about and it's such a such an important thing yeah. and I, I think we have sometimes failed to have um, high enough expectations yeah. of our kids they do great in school they're on their own though but in a lot of in a lot of areas I think we would allow them to fail in 36 seconds. <laughs> And, and not really learn, that you got to work your tail off what mm-hmm. you really want to, you know, achieve something over time and invest that time and wait until it works.
1: I, I think I don't know about you guys. I think I, we identify with that one. That was convicting for us. Uh, you know, the the you know again the kind of extreme example he gives about saying you're awesome for putting your fork in the dishwasher, right? Uh, that, it, that it's expected, but we compensate in other ways in that, um, you know, we'll, we'll have a crutch or an idea that says, well, you know, they're, they're overwhelmed with schoolwork, so we'll clean up the kitchen, right, or their schedule is too busy, so we'll take it on. We kind of reframe the argument to to say that, and um, th- that's tough. One thing that Catherine has been pretty consistent in, what age do they do their own laundry?
2: Well, they do portions of their laundry, but they're fully responsible by the time they're a
1: senior. Yeah. So when they're a senior in high school, maybe it should be earlier, but when they're a senior in high school, they have to do their own laundry. Uh, before that, they have to bring them down, they have to separate them, those kind of things, but uh, they have to sort them, they have to put their laundry up, those kind of things. But, um, you know, yeah. Otherwise, you know, I don't know if you know or not, but uh, Davidson uh, College, Davidson University, used to do laundry for kids, right? That was part of the curriculum. Did you know that? Uh, they've discontinued that within the last three years. But uh, our, our kids were never smart enough to get into uh, free laundry school. So <laughs> their hopes were dashed. We had to teach them to do their own laundry. <laughs> Any other comments or questions? Yes. I'll
3: just, I'll just follow up on that one. It's like we told them of the greatest ever but then we make excuses for them, which really says, we only think you're so capable. Yeah. Because you're under so much stress, we're gonna help, let us do this for you. And then really, what they get is that your words, blah, 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 you're the greatest ever, is not nearly as compelling as, we've gotta help you out here because you're only so capable. We're yeah. worried about your ability. Yeah. It's kind of a mixed message. Yeah.
1: O- or, what happened often with our crew of four it's so much more efficient to do it yourself. If you're waiting on them, oh my gosh, you know, it's so complicating. It's going to mess up your schedule of efficiency, right? You're just, you're just like, hey, get out of the way. Move, get out of the way. You know, we'll do this for you. But letting them do it themselves and watching them, that stuff, yeah. Can I ask a
3: personal question? Sure. So I was, I was playing that out of my head, the laundry thing. Does that sound yeah. really cool? first thing Isaac can say to me is, "Dad, you don't do your laundry. <laughs> well, how would y'all play that role? Well,
2: if your wife wants to do your laundry for you, great. But right now you don't have a wife.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs>
2: and I do other things I'm just saying that's one of our roles it's interesting I mean I know people who have their kids doing their laundry by the time they're in middle school like completely it's, it's up to you but I've also had boys come home from college and go I had to teach everybody on my hall how to separate their clothes into darks and light. I mean like they, don't, they go to college and they don't know so and if, I think especially if they're involved in sports or dance or something and they have to have a certain outfit clean for a certain day, it's so good to have them completely responsible so that they will remember to do it or they're going to wear something that stinks, you know. And,
1: and that's and why a don't great, wear something that stinks? That's, I mean, a that's a great consequence.
2: It is.
3: Austin is 10, and he complained last week that I put some of his brothers. They're almost the same size. He complained that I put some of his brother's stuff in his drawer. So yesterday he learned how to do his own laundry. There you go. Perfect. (laughs) That'll fix that. (laughs) You'll show him. Perfectly capable. He washed it and he folded it and he put it away.
1: There you go. Perfect. You guys are going to be so much better parents than we were. (laughs) The
2: other thing with I'm I'm the one that just wants to get it done. Yeah. Um, It's easier. It's easier but we're also we need to look in the mirror. We're telling our kids you need to work and wait. We're not modeling resiliency if we can't wait on
1: our children to learn how to do their laundry and just to do it to be time efficient. Mm -hmm. So we have to do that ourselves. In that book, um, Seven Habits of Highly Effective Families, Stephen Covey uses the example, uh, when he's teaching his son how to mow, of clean and green. So he says, and Till Melmore does a similar thing. he says that where we where we fail sometimes is we overcomplicate the list is too long of expectations. And so as he was teaching his son to mow, he said, "Look, I want the yard to be clean and green. That's what a clean edges trimmed well, mowed evenly, green. Clean and green." And so you know, it's like uh, they'll clean off the countertop in a different way, or that's not how we load the dishwasher. You know, so you got to kind of find the balance there of how to do it. Sometimes we find ourselves repacking the dishwasher after they've done it, but we're just wanting them to know how to do it. Yeah. Other questions or comments?
2: I was, one of the things um, he talked about reminded me of when Will graduated from high school. We've typically done graduation parties and done them with a friend so that they kind of share the celebration and. <laughs> Will, uh, if you know the Greens here, Kevin and Jill Green, their son Ben graduated the same year and they were good friends. So we did the graduation party together. Well, Ben was like this incredible athlete, football player. I, I can't remember what award he Mid-green. won, he won yep. yeah, in his senior year. I was like, I don't know if it was Mr. Football or it was like Offensive Player of the Year in Tennessee or it was like, he had this big trophy, like you know all this stuff he, for Brentwood High School and he just rushed for a million yards. <laughs> so they, to decorate, we were like bringing several things, you know, for their, and Ben comes in with all this stuff, and so I looked at Will, and I was kind of like, um, I think we've got your 8th grade team flat, you know, like, and we were just laughing, and we got some of his like WNSL basketball trophies and kind of put them around, and it was a joke, but you know, there are some, that would really bother some people, you know, you the comparison, I mean, Will was nowhere near the athlete Ben Green was, but be able to laugh about
1: it and be content with it, I think that's something that made me think about it. Mm -hmm. Uh, He said something uh, in that first four that was really subtle and I hope you uh, caught it. He talked about uh, helping them to find their gifts and then teaching them to serve up their gifts. Did you hear him say that or or serve with their gifts? And so uh, that's a really unique concept is applauding, celebrating, placing accolades on using their unique gifts and serving up or serving others with those gifts. That was just really interesting to hear.
3: Yeah. I would say as you're teaching children and you're delegating tasks to be learned, be very cognizant um, of um, being too perfectionistic. Yeah. Um, when, you, when you delegate that task, you're also encouraging your children's problem-solving skills and flexibility. Yeah. And they're not going to likely do it the exact same way. Yeah. In fact, they may have a way that within their brain and how their behaviors work is better for them. And if you constantly correct, you're going to crush their self-esteem. Yeah. So
1: I think we need to come up with either an 80-20 or flexibility. or Just like you said, simple. These are the two outcomes that we need. You figure out how to get
3: there if you need some guidance.
1: The inverse of that is true as well. Our fourth one, who's our most introverted, uh, does not like my quintessential optimism. No way, doesn't like it. So after you know struggling, he's into robotics. The you know the cortex isn't working. The pre-programmed skills isn't working in the robot. He's coming home wearing ashes and sackcloth, and he's you know just devastated. I'm like, hey, you know, it'll get better. Or tomorrow's a new day. Not a good time to cover that kind of, you know, Annie theme song at that moment with him. He wants to kind of wallow in it for a moment and just be silent. So the inverse is true as well of that. And that is not just to be, avoid being too perfectionistic and prescribing that on the kids, but also just avoid being too optimistic uh, with them at times because he just wants to wallow in it a little bit. So. That's tough for me, boy, I'm resisting. That worked for the other three, it is not working for him. So, other comments or questions? Other thoughts? Okay, let's see one more and then we'll
0: wrap up today. Mistake number nine, we praise the wrong things. I want to tell you about an experiment that was done at Columbia University by Dr. Carol Dweck, who now is at Stanford. She discovered that 85% of American parents believe it's very important to tell their child, you must be smart, you're a smart kid. And the reason we do that is because we think it's gonna give a little confidence the next time they take a test in school. She had a sneaking suspicion it was backfiring as she watched thousands of kids in New York. And so she did an experiment. She divided two groups of 10 year old children, gave them both the same test, but at the end of the test, the first group was told you must be smart. The second group was told, you must have really tried hard. You see, they affirmed effort rather than smarts. In the second round of the experiment, they gave a seventh grade level test, two grades higher, and they said, you don't have to take this one, it's harder, do you want to? Almost none of the kids in the first group wanted to take the test. The ones that had just been told they were smart didn't want to take it. It's almost like they were thinking, I don't think I'm that smart, actually. (laughs) I'm gonna stop right here with you're smart. Almost every kid in the second group that had been affirmed for their effort wanted to take the test. In the third round of tests that were given, they gave this same fifth grade level test, and the kids in the first group that had been affirmed for smarts and intelligence did 30% worse. And it was at that point Dr. Dweck drew this conclusion. We discovered that when you affirm variables that are out of their control, you produce a fixed mindset. The kids in the first group did 30% worse on the test. So what she says is to correct the affirmation problem we have in America is we need to affirm variables that are in their control, like honesty, or the strategy they used on that math problem, or how well they kept a good attitude when they were cleaning the room, as opposed to smarts or beauty, which are out of their control.
1: So again, that's, we brought up that, uh, that author before, Carol Dweck, in her book and research on mindset. Uh, We've also talked about before just to focus on process and not outcomes. You heard it a little bit differently there. Any comments on that before we go? I love that she says the variables in their control, right? And if you hear some of the, you know, we're on a, what sports analysts call a coaching carousel now, right? Uh, Kevin, Kevin Sumlin may go in hours, just so you'll know. Uh, but, you know, we're, we're seeing these coaches changing, but the ones who are producing they're winning. They talk a lot about the process, and they'll often speak about you know the other team applied a strategy we weren't anticipating. You know we're focused on the process, uh, not those outcomes. But I love how he says the variables that are inside their control, not the variables outside their control, and then just teaching them the difference in those two. So we'll uh, pick up next week and finish these. If you're so inclined, look at Till Melmore's website, Growing Leaders. Again, realize he's a consultant for a lot of uh, organizations, but that Growing Leaders uh, daily email is one that may be uh, valuable to you and your family. You may get some tips on that. But we hope you've had a great Thanksgiving. We hope you have a good week this week parenting. Thanks.